things here that uh, I just wanted to remind everybody of uh, before we get going to the message. Of first off, we mentioned this Wednesday, and I uh, just want to reiterate to you guys, this coming Thursday and Friday, Richard and Betts are going to be taking a group over to Indianapolis to the Calvary Chapel Bible College over in Indianapolis. And this is a great Bible college over there. We've been over there before. Wonderful campus, wonderful curriculum, wonderful uh, pastor over there that heads this up. If you are of college age and this is something that's interests you in possibly doing Bible college, I encourage you to go over. They're going to be doing an open house, and that's going to be Thursday and Friday. And it's not just for the college-age kids. Uh, they also have adults over there. They actually have uh, full families that go over there. So if the Lord's been stirring your heart about possible Bible college, I encourage you to go along for that trip. If you're interested, see Richard and Betsy, and they will point you in the right direction. And that's going to be this coming Thursday and Friday as well. Uh, Renee, are you in here? He's not. I thought he was. Did Renee mention the prayer quote in the kitchen? No. Um, there was a prayer quote in the kitchen uh, for uh, Jody Hathaway. And we've been praying here for Jody for quite some time. I don't know if you got the update or not. I got a chance to go up and see her yesterday. She is off the ventilator now and uh, still has uh, a long road of recovery to go. Still has a couple follow-up procedures that are going to have to be done to go fix some of the complications that uh, happened during the first couple procedures. Family's doing good, though. She is recovering, still very weak. And lots of prayer still needed there. So we have a prayer quilt in the kitchen. If you're not familiar with that ministry, you go in there after church, and as you uh, take the two strings on the quilt, you tie a knot, and that knot represents a prayer that was prayed for uh, Jody. And so then as we go give that quilt to Jody, it's a picture of her being covered in prayer by the body of Christ out here at Harvest. So after church, if you're going to go in there and pray for Jody, that would be appreciated. And the prayer quilt is in the kitchen there. And uh, what a wonderful ministry there. And I hope you guys will continue to keep the Hathaway family in prayer just for a full, complete recovery. So without much further ado, we are in the book of 2 Timothy. And we're going to be doing part of chapter 1 and part of chapter 2 today. And uh, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer and just dig right into this. Heavenly Fathers, we just come to you now. We are thankful for the time to be here. And we just pray, as always, Lord, you would teach and we would listen. Lord, just let your spirit guide and direct as we just get ready to get into your word. Um, Lord, you know what you want us to go through. You know what we're struggling with. And we just pray, Lord, that your spirit be upon it. And as always, we pray for our men and women serving in the field. Keep them safe. Bring them home safe. And Lord, we also pray for our leaders to have godly wisdom and direction in all decisions. And we lift this up in your name. Amen. All right, 2 Timothy chapters 1 and 2. Now, 2 Timothy here is an interesting book. This, and you've heard us say this in the introduction here for the last couple weeks, this is Paul's swan song. Last book that he wrote while he was on this earth. He's writing this from a prison cell. And so he is writing this literally as what we would call on, on death row, knowing his death is imminent. He knows it's coming. So these are the final phrases and words that he wants to say through the Spirit. And we spent the last couple of weeks talking about this. And the key passage here in 2 Timothy chapter 1 is really found in verses 13 and 14. Really the key for the whole book. Is, <coughs> excuse me, it says, Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you keep by the Holy Spirit which dwells in us. And those phrases, verse 13, hold fast. Verse 14 there, keep. Now why would he say hold fast and keep? Because from the perspective of the world, everything's falling apart. He's in prison. He's going to die. Hold fast. Stay strong. Don't give up. Hang in there. And that's the truth of the matter of today. Now, none of us here today are sitting in a prison cell waiting for death to come for our execution, but we're still all facing situations and circumstances in life that are tough and difficult, and we need to hold fast. We need to stay strong. And so, therefore, we need to keep staying focused in the faith. And that's exactly what Paul is saying right here as well, too. And so, as we go through this encouragement... Hopefully we're blessed by this as well. Now last week, and we're going to get into some names today, and don't think that we're skipping over the names, but 
as we say these names, we covered what they meant last week. We kind of stopped and covered all the names here in 2 Timothy. There's over 20 names mentioned. And with all these names here, we stopped and talked about what each name means and represents and how it's a picture of our relationship with Christ. So I encourage you, if you didn't get that copy of the CD from last week, to go grab that. Because as we go through these names, we're not skipping over them. We just already covered it. But he's writing this from prison. And he's writing this from prison. He's telling us to hold fast. He's going through a difficult time. Look at these words here. Just jump back. Look at verse 8 of chapter 1. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings of the gospel according to the power of God. Look at verse 12 of chapter 1. For this reason, I also suffer these things. And look at verse 9 of chapter 2. For which I suffer trouble. He's suffering. Now, wouldn't you be suffering? We've made this joke the last couple weeks that if I was in prison, I'd be suffering. I'd be praying for you guys to pray to get me out as soon as possibly can. He's suffering. Who wants to be in prison? Who wants to be waiting for death? That's suffering. See, here's the thing is sometimes you hear this teaching in Christianity that as soon as you accept Christ as your Savior, it's all going to be uh, roses and bluebirds and flowers and everything's going to be great. It's hard. It's difficult. Christianity is difficult. And when we went through uh, 2 Corinthians a couple weeks ago, it was back in July, we did a teaching on suffering. And we're going to build on that one today because the main point of that teaching was either as a believer or as a non-believer, you're going to face suffering in this world. The people that have the hardest time with difficulties in life are the ones that don't think it's ever going to happen to them. And so what happens when difficult times hit them in life? They don't know what to do. They don't know how to handle it. And so when that suffering comes, they're not prepared. Woe is me. God, why did you allow this to happen? Why doesn't anybody care and understand? My world is horrible. It's falling apart. Suffering is going to happen to the believers. It's going to happen to the non-believers. The only difference is, as believers, we have the comfort of God to get us through it. Non-believers don't have that comfort. So as Christians, we're still going to face suffering. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love us. It doesn't mean he's not on the throne. He still cares for us. Guys, if you could put that first slide up there. I want to show you some of these passages. Look at these verses here real quick. And I just put these down so that way we just hit them real quick. John 16. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you will have peace. This is Jesus speaking. In the world you will have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Jesus said from the beginning, you're going to have problems in the world. You're going to have tribulation. Next one, 2 Timothy 3. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So Jesus said in John 16, you will have tribulation. Not you might, not maybe, not possibly. You will. 2 Timothy 3. All who desire to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. We're all going to suffer through life. Philippians 3, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. When you want to be like Christ, you're going to have fellowship with him. Well, if Jesus suffered, we're going to suffer. Christ came right out and said in the Gospels, these things that happened to me, they're also going to happen to you. And last one, 1 Thessalonians 3, for in fact we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer. Tribulation, just as it happened, and you know. Don't be shocked by it. Christ said back in John 16, you're going to have tribulation. Now the question comes up of, how do you deal with it? And that's what this lesson is about today. How do we deal with these difficulties, with these sufferings that are going to come? I know this isn't the best pick-me-up type lesson, but the problem is, in this world we live in, you're going to have good days, you're going to have bad days. If I would sit here and only tell you about the good days, if I would sit here and only tell you about how great God is and wonderful, and don't worry, when the bad days come, he wouldn't be prepared and ready for it. We need to, as Christians, to understand and accept this fact that suffering will come. And that Philippians 3 passage, the fellowship of his sufferings. Christ went through it, so therefore we're going to go through it. We've said this out here many times before. Jesus suffered physically, 
emotionally and spiritually. So when you go through a difficult time, he knows. Some of you came in today and you're facing physical pain. You know loved ones that are facing physical pain. It is a tough day just to get through the day physically. Christ knows about the agony of pain. When he went on the cross, he suffered physically the pain. Some of you, it's emotional. You feel let down by the world. You feel let down by the body. You feel hurt. You feel left out. You are emotionally suffering, maybe in a season of mourning or weeping over the death of a loved one. You are emotionally hurting. Christ says, I know what it's like to be let down. I know what it's like to lose a loved one. He emotionally has felt that pain. Maybe for some of you, it's spiritual. You feel God's let you down. You pray and there's no answer. There's just a big black spiritual hole in your life. There's no growth. There's no nothing. Well, Jesus hung on the cross and said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knows about the spiritual sufferings as well. He knows the physical. He knows the emotional. He knows the spiritual. So that's why when it says in 1 Peter chapter 2 that Christ is an example for us. Because you know what? When Christ suffered physically, emotionally, spiritually, it's interesting to note what he did not do. He did not sit there and whine. He did not sit there and complain. He did not sit there and say, woe is me, this isn't fair, I didn't sign up for this, this is not how I wanted my life to be. He didn't do any of that. He kept his eyes on God the Father, and that's what got him through. And so when we suffer physically, emotionally, and spiritually, Christ set the example for us. So let's build on this. Let's jump back here to 2 Timothy 1. Let's talk about this. Let's go ahead and pick it up in verse uh, 15. That's where we left off two weeks ago. Verse 15 in chapter 1, it says, This you know that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Nisiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. The Lord grant to him that he might find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Christ. Now let's stop there for a second, because the other word we're going to focus on today is endure. You must endure hardship as a good soldier of Christ. We're going to suffer, but we're supposed to endure. Verse 3, jump ahead to verse 10 of chapter 2. Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect. Look at chapter 3, verse 11. Persecutions, afflictions which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Listeria. What persecutions I endured. Now, here's the truth of the matter. As Christians, we're going to suffer. As non-believers, you're going to suffer. But as Christians, we endure. That separates the men from the boys spiritually. We endure. It is really easy to be an on-fire Christian when everything's going great. When the health is good, the family's good, the marriage is good, work is good. Who can't sit there, raise their hands, and say, God be the glory, praise Jesus? It's easy when everything's clicking. But what happens when the sufferings of life start to happen? It gets difficult. Can you endure through that? Can I endure through that? Paul is living this out. He is writing this once again from the prison cell. So when he says endure, he is enduring. And how does he endure? Well, look at verse 3. You must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. I respect the military greatly. If anybody's looking for something easy to do, you don't go join the military. You endure hardships as a soldier. When you are joining the military, you're accepting the fact that it's going to be hard. There's going to be difficult days, and they're going to put you in situations that are tough. When you become a Christian, you are become a soldier of Christ. You're going to endure hardships. And that doesn't mean that God failed. It doesn't mean your faith is weak. It's a fact, just like all these passages we just went through. As believers, we're going to go through difficult times. We'll get to the why of that in a little bit. Look at the next one, verse 4. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that may he please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Well, as a good soldier, we're now in war. 
spiritual warfare. One of the things I always tell everybody when we do a baptism service out here, as soon as you make that public confession for the Lord and you stand up and want to get baptized, you're putting a huge bullseye target on your back. The enemy is just going to throw everything he can at you and try to hit you. So what do we do sometimes as Christians? Well, verse 4, we're in a spiritual war, but the truth of the matter is we don't want to get shot at, so we stay in our foxhole in our trench. We never do anything. Well, you won't get shot at. As soon as you pop your head out of the spiritual trench and you say, okay, Lord, I want to be used by you, I want to go deeper, well, of course the enemy is going to try to knock you down. So what do we do? Well, I don't want hardships. I don't want difficulties, so I'm just going to stay back a little bit. I definitely don't want to get into the spiritual warfare thing, so we just sit on the line spiritually, and then we sit there and wonder, why do I feel so spiritually empty and weak? Because we're not in the battle like we're supposed to be. Verse 5, also, if anyone competes in athletics, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. If you want to be a world-class athlete, you've got to put in world-class training. See, too often, once again, as a Christian, we expect to be an on-fire, born-again Christian that's going to be a light and a witness to everybody, but I don't want to put any effort into it. Part of being a Christian is training. And the training that we go through helps us to become a better, stronger Christian. And the last example here in verse 6, the hard-working farmer must be the first to partake of the crops. We live in a farming community. We know how much work it takes to be a farmer. Farmers just don't go out there and the middle of July for their wheat. They don't go out there in October and November for the corn and beans and say, okay, where's it at? Their hard work began back in the spring or in the fall. They're planting. They're going out there and, and doing the work to take care of the field. But what happens spiritually is if you want to harvest, verse 6, as a farmer, are you going to put some work into it? Are you going to endure? I mean, this is the thing. You're a soldier of the Lord, verse 3. There's going to be hardship. You're in a spiritual warfare, verse 4. The enemy is going to try to knock you down. Verse 5, you want to be in spiritual shape. It takes effort. It takes work. Verse 6, you're the farmer that wants the crop. You want that fruit, that increase. It's hard work. Now, the problem is we don't hear a lot about this. Because to be quite honest, if you want a, a, a church that's going to be growing really simply, you just preach stuff that everybody wants to hear. So when you preach these things that are difficult, a lot of times people sit there and say, well, this isn't what I signed up for. But when you sign up to become a Christian, this is what we did sign up for. Look at verse 7. Consider what I say. May the Lord give you understanding in all things. Paul says, think about this. He goes, I'm not, I'm not making this up. He goes, think about this. This is how it is. You're going to suffer as a non-believer. You're going to suffer as a believer, but you have strength and comfort from God. And the sufferings as a believer serve a purpose. Or the sufferings as a non-believer usually don't. And we're going to build on that. Verse 8, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer troubles and evildoer even to the point of chains. But the word of God is not changed. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Verse 9 and 10 sum it up perfectly. I suffer, verse 9, for God. Verse 10, I endure for God also. That's what it is. Now ask yourself this. How is your spiritual endurance? As long as everything is going okay spiritually, are you good? But what happens when hardship happens? What happens when the difficulties of life happen? Is that when you start losing it? You start getting short-tempered, thin-skinned. You start snapping at things, start getting mad, get angry, get upset. The stress gets to you. God says we have to endure through those things. We have to work through those things because it is an example that we're trying to go through. As an example of Christ, as it says in verse 10, we do this for the elect. Well, let's just be selfish for a second. What do we get out of it? Turn, if you will, to 1 Peter chapter 3. If this whole suffering thing is a God-given thing as believers and he uses it, What's the point? Because I've been through things in my life where I sit there sometimes and say, Lord, what's the point? You've been through things in your life where you're sitting there saying, Lord, why? Why? If you're using this suffering, Lord, what 
are we getting out of this? First Peter chapter 3. Let's go ahead and start in uh, verse 13. First Peter 3, verse 13. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. Now stop there. Think about that for a second. You are blessed. Do you feel blessed? Next time you're suffering, next time you have a horrible day at work, the next time the pain is so physically bad you can't stand, the next time you're so emotionally spent that you can't go another moment, do you really stop and look up to heaven and say, wow, Jesus, I'm blessed? No, we don't, do we? So why does God say we're blessed when we're suffering? Why does he say that? Let's finish on, verse 14. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, and when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. See, here's the thing. You're going to have good days and bad days as a believer or a non-believer. We've established this point. You're going to suffer either as a Christian or a non-Christian. So, verse 17, it is better to be in the will of God and suffer for something that's good and be blessed than rather to be out of the will of God and just suffer to suffer. Do you know people that aren't saved, aren't right with the Lord, and their life is miserable? I feel bad for them. You can't sit there and say, hey, don't worry, God's got a divine purpose in this. Sometimes he doesn't. If you're not walking in the will of the Lord, if you're walking in your own flesh, we create our own problems, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But if I'm in God's will, if I'm trying to do what I can when these difficulties of life happen, I can stop and say, okay, God, you're using this for a reason, and I'm blessed by this. Now, I don't feel blessed. But I am blessed. So what's the blessing that comes out of it? Stay in First Peter and jump back to chapter 1, please. Stay in First Peter and jump back to chapter 1. What is the purpose and point of these trials and tribulations and these ups and downs? First Peter 1, verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. When's the last time you rejoiced over a trial? When's the last time you were so, so, I was so excited, you got home from work, and you said, honey, guess what? What? Today was the best day of my job ever. Why was it so great? Because it was a horrible day. It was horrible. I had a flat tire on the way to work. I had a horrible headache all day. And I, my boss was horrible today. My coworker didn't show up. I had to do a double shift. It was the worst day ever, and I'm just so excited. I don't think any of you do that. But yet, Peter says we're supposed to rejoice. In fact, in the book of James 1, verse 2, James comes out and says, Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Why? Why are we rejoicing over suffering? Why are we counting it joy for trials and tribulations? Because right now, verse 6, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. God comes out and says, I am using this for a divine purpose. Those areas in your life that need to be cleaned up, I'm allowing these things to happen in your life to chisel out those things that cause problems. I'm allowing these, these hardships and these trials to come into your life because that is going to test your faith. It's going to make you a stronger, better person. The truth of the matter is, we don't like that. So we whine, we moan, we complain about trials. And these trials, did you catch what happens in verse 6? Two points about trials. Look at verse 6. First off, they're limited and they serve a purpose. And this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while. Trials and sufferings are only for a little while, people. Now we think it's going to last forever. 
It's only for a little while. Now, some of you may be thinking, now, James, I got you on this one. Because I know some trials that are only for a little while. I know people that have a physical condition, they're going to carry that physical condition until the day of their death. I know people that are emotionally heartbroken over the loss of a, a child or a spouse or a loved one. They're going to carry that pain until they die. I'm not trying to be rude to anybody's pain, but what happens when you die? Trial's over. It's limited. Well, that's really not limited. I, I, I'm carrying it all the days of my life. No. Compared to eternity, whatever you face on this earth limited. There's not a comparison. See, we think we're going to carry this physical pain and emotional pain and spiritual pain through eternity. No. As soon as you die, the trial is over. The suffering is over. So therefore, it is limited. Now, it doesn't feel limited in this world when you've been struggling with this pain for decade after decade after decade. But compared to eternity, these 70, 80, 90, 100 years we have in this world is a drop in the bucket. There is no comparison. So every trial we face is limited. The next one is, it serves a purpose. It serves a purpose. And that purpose is there's an area in your life that needs to be addressed and strengthened and fixed. And so therefore, that's what happens. Any of you that's ever gone through any type of surgery, be it on your knee, on your shoulder, or whatever, when you go in to do rehab, what do they work? The area that was operated on. Why? Because it is weak. If you had a knee replacement on your left knee, they don't go in on your right knee and say, hey, we want to do some exercises on your right knee. Your right knee's fine. It's your left knee that needs work. When you go work out physically, what are you working out physically? The muscles that need to be worked out. So the same thing happens here in life. When God allows trials to come into my life, he's saying, James, I can see the big picture, and the big picture is you need to work on this. So therefore, since you need to work on this, I'm allowing these things to come into your life because I love you enough to have you work on it. We do the same thing with our kids. We get all three of the boys together, and I've shared this with you before. Take the three older boys, we sit them down, and we say, okay, this is the areas that you need to work on. Elias, you're the firstborn, but you're really not in charge. Don't act like it. That's what I always tell him. Judah, number two, I've shared with you before. Judah, don't go crazy. Don't go into Judah world. Number three, Kenan, Kenan, don't whine and fuss. I know them as their father. I know what areas they're weak on. And so what do we do? We work on the areas that are weak. Judah, our second one, is the nicest kid of all of them. He will share whatever. If he has an, one piece of candy, he will give his piece of candy to one of his brothers. He will let go of everything he has. He will make sacrifices. I don't have to go up to Judah and say, Judah, remember how to share. I need to go to Kenan to remind him how to share. Because Kenan is a little heathen, and he won't share anything. <laughs> so the point is, whatever areas we're weak on, God works at. So let's just be honest. Let's, let's be really honest here for a second. If you're the type of person that says, every job I've ever had, I always got the worst boss in the world. Maybe it's not the boss. Maybe it's you. Every time I go to work, I always get these co-workers, and they never do anything. Maybe God's working on you. Every relationship I've ever been in, she's always been this way. Maybe God's working on you. Maybe it's not, it's always the boss that's the problem. Maybe there's an area in your life you need to work on. Maybe it's not always the co-workers that are a problem. Maybe it's an area you need to work on. Maybe it's not the relationships you're always in. Maybe it's something you need to work on. God is saying, I'm allowing these people to come into your life to test you, to try you, because there's an area of your life you need to work on. A few years ago, I had received a phone call from a gal. Never met her, never knew anything about her. She called from the community, and she called and asked if, if I performed the wedding ceremony for her. And so we sat down. I mean, over the phone, I should say. We, we talked for a little bit, and I got a little bit of questions of, you know, well, where are you going to church? And, you know, quite honestly, why aren't, why aren't they doing the ceremony? Well, they don't understand what's going on. They don't really care. They haven't really nice, so I, I left. Okay. She tried a different church network out, so she's literally going through the phone book. She called us. And I knew there was a deeper issue here going on. And so I said, so, you know, tell me a little bit about what's going on. Told her a little bit about how we look at marriage and stuff out here. Had her start opening up about some stuff. Well, next thing you know, 
it's always someone else's fault. Everything she's been through in life is not her fault. She's, she's always had these horrible guys. She's always had the horrible job. She's always had the horrible people. And she just is full of so much anger and so much bitterness and so much frustration. She's full of all this stuff. And you can just tell by talking to this person that these sufferings that she's going through, well, it's not her fault. And it reached the climax of the point, and I'm not trying to pick on ladies out here, so ladies, please don't take this. It reached the point she was talking about her 18-year-old daughter. That was quite a handful, it sounds like. And she goes, and that daughter of mine, she goes, I labored for her for 36 hours. 36 hours for a day and a half I labored her. And this is how she treats me? This is how she respects me after what I went through in labor for her? Now, I'm not picking on women, but I told her, I said, you know, that was 18 years ago. I think you need to let that one go now. You know what she did? She hung up. And that's how I met Rose. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Rose. Hi, Rose. Love you. Um, point, though, is that's not her fault. It's never her fault. Sufferings aren't her fault. Life's not her fault. She always has someone else to blame. It's never her fault. You know what's going to happen? Those events are going to keep happening to her because she needs to be taught a lesson. I don't mean that in a mean way. She needs to be taught a lesson. There's areas in her life that needs to be addressed. Honestly, take a look at yourself. Is the same things popping up again and again? Is this God's way of trying to tell you there's areas that you need to work on? These sufferings, these trials serve a purpose. And the purpose is to test us, to try us, to make us a stronger, better Christian. In fact, it comes right out of the book of 1 Peter. You don't need to turn there. It says, but may the God of all grace, 1 Peter 5.10, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Look at, listen to those words one more time. You've suffered a while, and the result of this is, you are perfected. Now, it doesn't mean perfect like sinless. Perfect means mature, complete. Next one, established. Your foundation is made stronger. Strengthened. Those areas that are weak are now stronger. And settled, you have peace. The purpose of the trial is to perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. That's why God allows those things to happen in your life. If you quit failing the test, the test is going to keep coming back. God says, I allow these things to happen to help you personally grow into the man or woman of God that you've been called to be. Now, why else does God allow these things to happen? That's for everybody else, too. My sufferings, my trials and tribulations are also there to build up the body of Christ. You don't need to turn there, but it says in the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. What God is saying there through Paul is when you go through difficult times, your difficult times actually help strengthen the body of Christ. Because when you go through a difficult time, you can go back to the body later on and say, hey, I've been in that position. I've been down that road. And this is what God did to get me through it. So since God did this to get me through it, I know that he will get you through it. That's why we do testimonies. That's why we have people get up and share sometimes of what the Lord has done in their life to encourage you to say, hey, I've suffered. I've been through that trial. God helped me. I know that he will help you. So when you're going through those difficult times, to be quite honest, we're very selfish about it. Lord, why? Why are you allowing this to happen? Why did you do this in my life? God may be saying, I'm allowing this to happen to fix areas in your life that are weak. And if that's not true, he may be saying, I'm allowing this to happen because you are going to use this trial to bless other people. Lord, use somebody else to bless other people. Oh, he wants to use you. Well, what do I get out of it? You get to be used by God. I know that some of us, we'd rather not be used by God. It goes back to some of our first points. I want to stay in the trench. I want to stay in the foxhole. I don't want to get shot at. No, God says, I'm using you for a divine purpose and you will be blessed. Well, I don't want to go through the remainder years of my life, suffering, etc. 
you're not having the eternal perspective because the eternal perspective is you see the big picture. The big picture is that people will be blessed by this. People will go deeper in their walks because of this. And all of eternity, I will be rewarded for what God used me for, for his glory. And it's worth it. It's absolutely worth it. And that's why it's so important for us as a body to do these things, to have the prayer quotes, to mention their prayer requests, to have the prayer line on Wednesday night, to have that time of prayer request. It's because very simply put, and says in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 26, paraphrased, when you hurt, I hurt, and when I hurt, you hurt. That's part of being a body, is that you may not know any of these people. Some of these prayer requests that are lifted up, you may say, I don't know her. I've never met him. But you can still pray for him. They're part of the flock. They're part of the body. And we want to be that type of family that pray for people, encourage one another, and help one another through it. When you know someone's suffering, you want to be there for them. And you may not know them, you can still pray for them. You may know them. Drop them a call. Drop them a card. Notice when people aren't around. Notice when people are going through difficult times and say, Lord, I want to be there to bless them, to encourage them, to help them. Because that is part of the trials. As the body is there to help and support other people. Now, we've talked about the spiritual side of it. God using it to bless the body. God using it to help us become the people we're called to be. But what about the other side of this? Look in 1 Peter chapter 4, please. 1 Peter chapter 4. Because the truth of the matter is, I've known people that are suffering. It's not a divine purpose. It's their own choices. Look at 1 Peter 4, verse 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody, and other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this manner. Look at the two extremes there. Verse 16, you're suffering as a Christian. God is using it for a divine purpose, and he will use it, and to him be the glory, and he will give you the strength to get through it. One of the worship songs that we sang today, I wrote down the lyrics because it really blessed me, was, in your name there is strength to remain, to stand in spite of pain in your holy name. Isn't that true? When you sing those words, in your name there is strength to remain, to stand in spite of pain in your holy name. As a Christian, I can stand in the middle of pain because God gives me the strength to get through it. That's verse 16. But look at verse 15. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, a busybody in other people's matters. Some people in this world suffer because of choices that they made. I, I have done numerous visits to prisons over the years that I've been out here, and not every person, but I hate to say this, the majority of the people, when you go visit them in prison, it's not their fault. It's not their fault. And even if they admit that they did it, Man, my lawyer was so stupid. It's never their fault. They're suffering, but it's not their fault. It's not their ramifications. It goes back to what we talked about earlier. It's not my fault. I always had the bad boss. It's not my fault. I always had the bad coworkers. It's not my fault all my relationships ends in disasters. It's just the bad people. It's never our fault. And so they're suffering, but yet it's not their fault. Well, the Bible makes it abundantly clear that we do reap what we sow. And if we constantly are involved in actions and attributes that are going to bring us down spiritually... We're going to get hurt by that. Galatians chapter 6, you don't need to turn there, says this in verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he also will reap. For he who sows to his flesh will the flesh reap corruption. He who sows to the Spirit will the Spirit reap everlasting life. How simple is that? Well, let's make it even simpler. What you plant grows up. I plant corn, corn will grow. I plant beans, beans will grow. Now, there may be some weeds and some other stuff that pop in there, but what you plant is what grows. Well, if I'm constantly in the flesh... I'm going to suffer according to the flesh, doing those dumb things I shouldn't do. But yet if I'm in the Spirit, yes, I will still suffer, but there has a divine purpose. If someone goes out in verse 15 of 1 Peter 4 and lives their life as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a busybody, they are going to suffer. There will be ramifications for those actions. The book of Proverbs even goes further. In Proverbs 19, it gives two more examples. Proverbs 19, verse 15. It says this, if you're lazy, you're going to suffer. 
And so therefore, if you are suffering and you're out there being physically lazy or spiritually lazy, the Bible says a suffering comes out of that. Isn't that true? I've seen people that have that. They have the physical laziness of life and they wonder why they never get ahead in life. They're suffering. I've seen people have the spiritual laziness in life and they wonder why spiritually they're never getting stronger. They're suffering. It's just like anything in life. What you put the work into dictates the fruit and blessings that will come out of it. If we don't invest into our spiritual life and we're lazy... Why do we think our marriage is going to grow? Our, our, our relationships are going to grow. Our walk with Christ is going to grow. We're spiritually lazy. And the next one in Proverbs 19:19 19, 19, it says, if you live your life according to wrath, you will suffer. Do you know people that have an attitude, that have a temper, that have that outburst of anger? The Bible says they suffer because of that. They suffer in their relationships. They suffer in their jobs. How many of us know somebody lost a job because their anger got the best of them, their attitude did. How many times do we know people that don't have that friendship and that support and stability from friends and families like they should because they allowed their anger to get the best of them? When we allow our anger or our laziness to control us, we will suffer. It's not worth it. So as a believer, I will suffer, but there's a divine purpose. As a non-believer, my actions will cause me to suffer, which just causes harm and pain. Now, what should I do, though, as a Christian? Well, let's get down to this. Okay, I'm going through difficult times. I, I trust that the Lord is going to use this. It still is suffering. It still hurts. So how do I handle that? First thing you have to do if you're taking notes, here's the final three points. This is how we handle this. First thing we do is 1 Peter 4, verse 19. 1 Peter 4, verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good to a faithful creator. If you're going through a difficult time, you need to commit yourself to God. Let him be the one that gives you comfort in this difficult time. Too often in suffering, we turn to friends and family and to things of the world to get us through. You have to commit yourself to God. He's the one that gets you through it. All of our kids respond to pain and hurt in different ways. When Kenan gets hurt at home, first thing he does is he runs to dad. He runs to dad. He just wants to jump up on my knee. I hold him. We look at the owie. We pray for it. We put a band-aid on We do whatever he does. Whenever he gets hurt, he runs to dad right away. Now Judah, our second one, when he gets hurt, he doesn't run to dad. He runs off by himself in a corner. He doesn't run to anybody. Just yesterday, we were, or yesterday or Friday, we were down in the basement doing some stuff, and uh, Judah fell and got hurt, and I didn't know about it. And Elias came to me and said, Dad, Judah's hurt. He's crying. And we got this little playhouse down in the basement. And so I was in a different room. I look at the playhouse. I said, Judah, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. A couple minutes later, Elias comes out and goes, Dad, Judah's really hurt. He's in the playhouse. He's crying. I go to the playhouse and I open up the door and poor little Judah, tears are just streaming down his face. He, I mean, he got hurt pretty good. He got hurt on the lake pretty good. Judah, are you okay? I'm fine. Judah, you're not okay. Come here. So he finally gives in. He comes. He cries it out. We take a look at it. We put the Band-Aid on and we take care of it. See, that's the same thing that happens to us. Some of you are the kinnons of this world. You get hurt, you're suffering, you run right to the Father. You commit yourself to Him. You jump up on your Heavenly Father's knee and you say, God, give me strength to get through this because I can't. Some of you are the Judas of this world. You're hurt, you're suffering. You don't run to the Father. You run off by yourself. You're the eyes of this world. I can get through this. I just need to buckle down. I just need to get my focus where it needs to be. I can handle this. I'm fine. You're not fine. If you could get through this world without the Lord, why did Jesus Christ die on the cross for your sins? You can't. You need to run to the Father. You need to commit yourself to Him. And as you commit yourself to Him, He gives you the strength to get through it. It's that simple of a concept. But yet, when some of us are suffering, we run. We run from the church. We run from the body. We run from the pastor. We run from prayer. We run from the Word. We run and we suffer on our own. And then to be quite honest, we sit there and say, why doesn't anybody care? Why doesn't anybody know? Why doesn't anybody understand? Because we don't know what you're going through. Unless you come to the body and let the body know you're hurting, we can't be there to help minister to you. And so then Satan gets in there and he, and he creates this bitterness. If I'm hurting, 
And no one cares. No one understands. No one sees. But at the same time, He never let us know that we can help. So we have to commit ourselves to the Father. And the next one is found in Romans 8.18. You don't need to turn there. But it says we're supposed to have this eternal perspective on understanding sufferings. It says in Romans 8.18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy that it could be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Think about that one more time. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Whatever you're facing today does not compare to what you're going to experience through all of eternity in heaven. It does not compare in no way whatsoever. So when we sit here and say, the woe is me, I can't believe I'm going through this, God says it doesn't compare to what is in store for you for all of eternity. That eternal perspective, internal mindset. Think about yourself at home, at work. How many times do you and your spouse get into a little spit? Or really in the whole scheme of eternity, it means nothing. Think about the last time you got upset at work. In the whole scheme of eternity, does that argument mean anything? Think about those things that bring you down. In the whole scheme of eternity, does it mean anything? Probably not. God says keep the eternal perspective, and a lot of these little things just start to dissipate. It just disappears. What, what is that old hymn just came to my mind? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. And how's that line go? It says, turn your eyes upon Jesus, and uh, all these things will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. When you compare what we're going through, compare to the whole scheme of eternity, a lot of these little problems that we get upset about, it's not worth it. It's just not. So the first one was commit yourself to the Lord. The next one was have that eternal perspective. The last point here, simple one, James 5.13. James 5.13. It says, if anyone among you is suffering, let him pray. How simple is that? Let him pray. If you're going through a difficult time, the answer is found in prayer. Giving it over to the Lord and saying, God, I need your strength. I need your help. I need your perspective. Let him pray. And that's what we're going to end with here today. We're just going to end with prayer. Is if you're going through a difficult time and you want prayer, Rich and I will be right up here to the left. And during the final song when Marv's up here, if you want to come up for prayer, come up. We'll pray with you. And we'll stick around for a little bit afterwards if you've got something you want to pray about. This is the point of it. If you are suffering physically, emotionally, or spiritually, you need comfort, you need prayer, we'll be up here. And we definitely want to do that and pray with you. So I won't be at the back to shake your hands. And, and I'm sorry about that because I always like to get a chance to see you and say hello to everybody. But we're going to be up here afterwards praying. So as Marv gets ready here, and Marv going to come up here for the final song. I just encourage you, if you're going through a difficult time, to seek the Lord in all things. And we made a quick little list here. If you guys want to put that last slide up, I just went through and I picked um, seven psalms. Because I think the psalms are a healing oil. I really do believe that. As you read through these, David was a very honest man of God. Um, we pick on him sometimes for being a little whiny, but we're all a little whiny. When he went through difficult times, he had his moments of despair and discouragement of God, Why? But he also had his moments of, Lord, you're going to get me through this. Here's seven psalms. I'm just going to leave this up here for a few minutes. If you want, write these down. It's a different psalm for each day of the week. If you're going through a difficult time right now, be it spiritual, emotional, or physical, I encourage you, write down these seven psalms, and each day pray and read over one of these psalms. They're all comforting psalms to be there to encourage you. And a lot of times what you see in these psalms is, the first few verses of it is David having a pity party for himself, followed by, yes, Lord, I need to trust you. And then usually ending with praise. See, a lot of times when we're going through difficult times in life, we push praise off to the side. Why would I praise God for anything? Why, why, why would I praise Him? I have nothing to praise God about. Praise dissipates the depression and the discouragement of life. There's always something to praise God about. You can praise Him for salvation, if nothing else, that there's a God that loves you and cares for you. I encourage you, write these down as you go through this week. If you're going through a difficult time, read and pray over each one of these one day of the week there and you'll definitely be blessed by it, and it'll be a comfort that God gives you. So, without much further ado, we'll get over Marv here for the final song. And Marv, I'll go ahead and close this out with prayer, then you're done.